want to uh, think about uh, the book of Acts again. Where, uh, if you're visiting us, then we want to give you a really warm welcome to church. Um, but we've been looking and beginning to look at the story of the early church in the book of Acts and about how, at a time of great uncertainty, a great uncertain future, God opens up um, a people to it. And the people embrace the uncertainty of all that's ahead. And what I want to do this morning, just for a few moments, is to think with you about the first part of the second chapter. It's what's commonly known as the day of Pentecost. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? If we were live, I would get you all to shout out, but I think it would just lead to chaos if we try it right now. So where you are, I wonder, what's this? And what would you call it? Is it a bap? Is it a roll? Is it a bun? Is it a balm? Is it a batch? Is it an oven bottom? It's not an oven bottom, is it? That's too small. But what do you call it? Well, I suspect whatever you call it, and um, I also suspect that some of you have quite strong feelings about what you would call it, is largely dependent upon where you grew up. And that might be largely dependent upon what your parents called it. We live on a really small island, and yet you only have to go a few miles, and suddenly you're in a new context, and your accent and um, your dialect really stand out. You go along the East Langsay, you end up in Liverpool, and as uh, I think it was Matt and Esther in their household, what languages do you understand and speak? Scouse. You go there, and if they talk it really fast, you can be left behind. You go 15 miles up the road, and you're in Wigan, and you hear words that you don't use in Salford because they've got their own dialect and even six miles up the road into Bolton and you're in a different accent and our accents and our dialect and the words we use well they make us feel that we belong but sometimes it can make us feel like we're judged 
years and years and years ago, and I think I told this story before, but years ago when I started out at college, I went to college in London and um, I'd grown up in Halifax and I'd spent just a year away, but then I went to London. And um, while I was there, um, one guy from the south of England uh, said, uh, you're quite intelligent, aren't you, for a northerner? He clearly judged me on my accent and thought I was thick. And, um, well, I didn't let on, but I judged him too, because he had a really upper class accent. And I thought he was a bit up himself. And I thought he was a bit, you know, disconnected from the real world. And probably at the time used the worst thing I could think of saying about anybody is just too posh. Years later, when uh, I joined uh, again, working with a group in London, the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, as you know, was working with them for 13 years. And when I got there, they said about themselves that people think we are educated, radio for London centric, Southern based. And I went to work for them. And um, people began to say, we think the perspective's changed. Presumably now they just thought we were northern and thick. I had to explain to people uh, in the M25 that we no longer kept coal in the bath. Few of us had whippets and actually we had electricity. It was remarkable, but it was the language you see. It was the, it was the, it was the, the accent that created a bridge. Language matters. It's the bridge on which so much travels. It's intriguing that in the passage we've read, well, we read last week, Jesus had promised the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And what they were given were languages. Let's think about it for a moment. This is where all those people were from. Just look. Now, they'd all gathered in Jerusalem. They'd all come to Jerusalem. And they'd come for a religious festival. But see where they'd come from. You can see, even on a map that has sort of like the, the, the nations and the peoples of the time, you, you spot Turkey, you spot um, Italy, you spot North Africa and Egypt and Iran and Iraq out there and uh, Arabia. But all of these places were the known world and they'd all come to Jerusalem. And what happened on the day of Pentecost is, all of them heard people speaking in their languages. You see, they'd all come to Jerusalem and they presumably all would have spoken at least Hebrew or Aramaic. In other words, they could join in with the worship. They probably spoke Latin or Greek because that was the language of the empire. But on this day in Pentecost in Jerusalem, what they heard were people speaking in the languages of Cappadocia or the Cretan dialect. They heard them in their own language. Listen to what they said. Aren't these men who were speaking Galileans? And the reason they said that is because if you were from Galilee, two things, number one, you were, you were northerners, and secondly, you were thought to be uneducated. And they went, they're speaking our languages, not the languages of trade, not the languages of religion, not the languages of empire, 
but our languages how come we hear them in our native language and how come we can hear them declaring the wonders of god in our own tongues what would they have been saying well they may well have been reciting the stories of the old testament the exodus the return from exile the miracles that god had done but the wonders of god were also jesus the resurrection the ascension and suddenly these disciples are speaking languages that they'd not learned and they were making connections that they couldn't have imagined i wonder what effect that had on them for the earliest disciples it would have given them increased confidence remember jesus said you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth and at least some of them must have said if we go to the ends of the earth how on earth will we be understood for they all speak different languages but here the earliest disciples were given the confidence you will be understood my spirit will be with you an increased expectation we're just from galilee we're northerners we're not thought of as that great no 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 the spirit is at work in you you can expect to be included in on god's work and an increased imagination what could happen for luke who writes this book this is all about the engagement that god makes possible an engagement with people that you never would have thought imaginable and it happens because of an encounter it's an encounter where god touched them it's an encounter where god came close let's read it when the day of pentecost came they were all together in one place suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them the sound the sights it was like see how it's written a sound like the blowing of a violent wind it felt like this gale force wind it wasn't a violent wind but it sounded like that came from heaven and it filled the house and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire they weren't tongues of fire but it looked like that it's almost like they were trying to get to i don't know how you'd say it but it's almost like they'd had this experience and they find it really difficult to explain do you know what that means have you had that where something so intense that you're struggling for language and they were filled with the spirit they were filled with the spirit jesus in chapter one had said wait in jerusalem and you will be baptized by the spirit the promise all the way through the gospel is john the baptist comes baptizes jesus and says i can baptize you in water but one will come who will baptize you in the spirit jesus would tell a story i love the parable it's probably my favorite parable about the man who goes to the friend at midnight and needs bread and the man has to get up and give him and 
Jesus ends that parable by saying, so ask and keep on asking and knock and keep on knocking and search and keep on searching because your father will give you the spirit. And here now, these early disciples, they have an experience where the spirit baptizes them. The spirit who immerses them. This spirit who comes and from something outside of them transforms them. The spirit who will surround you and live in you. The spirit who will give you life. And Paul, when he reflects on the work of the spirit, will say this spirit is the deposit of everything that will come. Whatever you've experienced of the spirit is only the beginning. There's so much more. It's the spirit who will allow you and enable you and make you confident enough to say, I am God's. He's my father. It's the spirit who will open up gifts for you to be used. Things that will make a radical difference in the lives of other people. And when Luke begins this story of the church, we will see it's the spirit that will lead to outrageous boldness, outrageous generosity. It will lead to people responding. It will lead to experiences that on the one hand were so strange, but on another hand, open up so much more. And I'm reading it and I'm thinking, well, what do you want? You see, it's easy, I think, for people to read these early chapters of the book of Acts and indeed the book of Acts as a whole and go, well, that was just for then, wasn't it? For us, it's all a little bit more, I don't know, a bit more ordinary, a bit more everyday, a bit more mundane. But the danger is what you end up with is faith you feel like you can control. Those of you that know me know that I think it's important for you to be able to think about your faith. I think it's important to be able to ask questions. I think it's important to be able to discuss and explore. I think it's important for your minds to be open. I want a baptized mind. <laughs> but I also want to experience more of God. I don't want everything to be rational. I don't want everything to be in boxes I can control. I want the spirit to do more than I can imagine. I don't want a faith I can control. I want a faith that embraces me. I want an encounter. So to you that are unsure, unsure about faith, unsure about where you stand, the prayer is, Lord, I wanna be open. I want to be open. And to those of you that are jaded, that have been around for a long time, and it all seems perhaps that you've lived too many disappointments, perhaps actually for you too, it's Lord, open my heart again. And for those that are experienced, Lord, Come, enable me to speak.
come and give me the link to people so that they can understand. Give me the languages, give me the words, give me the ability to speak. I want my mouth to be used. I want to reach people who would be surprised. And I want to be heard. Lord, let me be heard. On the day of Pentecost, they came together and the promise of empowerment led to language and communication. And it was more than any of them expected. It's more than they ever would have thought. And God did something new. And when Luke writes this, I don't think he writes it just so that you know the history. I don't know if Luke was particularly interested in just the history. I think, I think what he was saying is, this is the God of the church. This is the spirit who leads the church. This, this is the faith. And maybe for every generation, we need to be reminded. It's easy, isn't it, to want the encounter, but actually to always think you have to go somewhere else for it. But actually, it comes back down to us. It comes down to me and you to say, Lord, do it here. In the earliest days of the church, 300 AD, something happened and... Years ago when I heard it, it, it became one of those stories that lodged in my mind and I, I repeat it ad nauseam because it's so important to me. In AD 30, 300, Christians stopped being persecuted and the state kind of encouraged Christianity. And so it wasn't dangerous to be a Christian anymore. It was quite acceptable. In fact, it became increasingly acceptable throughout the whole empire. And when that happens, actually, it's easy to lose your edge. And our language, not theirs. It's easy to become a consumer of Christianity. And one of the interesting things that happened was that uh, renewal movements began. Every generation needs a renewal movement. Um, I know whatever you might think about your own uh, understanding of faith and Christianity, um, our children's generation and our grandchildren's generation will come up and go, I can't believe that you accepted that. We need renewal. And they're right. Every generation needs renewal. And in the 300 ADs and 400 ADs, the renewal movements were the monastic movements, the monks, the people who gathered together and prayed and were generous beyond belief and served people, whoever those people were. But then as little groups of monks came together, they started to hear about where God was doing stuff elsewhere. And they decided, actually, let's go down the road to what's going on down there. And one Italian monk called Benedict said, let's stop doing this. Let's make a vow of stability. Let's stay. And let's pray that God would renew us here. You see, you can chase after stuff, but actually, actually, it's here. It's us. It's me. 
Do it here, Lord. Encounter us here. Years ago, I had a friend. She was brilliant. She was funny. She was eccentric. And she went through a phase where she would go to every conference going, looking for what she felt God wanted to give her. She went to so many conferences and tried to get hold of so many main stage speakers and try and track them down and took on their sleeve and say, can you talk to me? Will you pray for me? And she always came back disappointed until she discovered it's actually about me and it's here. This lockdown period, which might come to an end soon, but it won't be different for ages, really. Is a period where we together as a church say, Lord, do it here. Encounter us. We don't want to run around here, there and everywhere. Come and encounter us so that we can be the ones who engage. Come, Holy Spirit and do it here.